This is Impressive Growth Masters, the podcast created by marketers for marketers. Keep up to date with everything from retail to tech and beyond. Join your host, Robert Tadros, in conversation with CEOs, CMOs, and the true masters of business and growth marketing. Hello and welcome back to the Growth Masters podcast. I'm your host, Robert Tadros. Joining me on the show today is Nathan Bush, who is the director at e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. eSuite recruits e-commerce talent for fast-growing retailers and actually facilitates training programs to develop their skills. Nathan also hosts the Add to Car podcast, where he gets to interview Australia's top e-commerce talent founders and leaders on a weekly basis. In a past life, Nathan has led e-com businesses with revenues in excess of 100 million plus and has been recognized as one of Australia's top 50 people in e-commerce four years in a row. Please welcome Nathan Bush. So Nate, mate, welcome to the show. And I like to kick off like this, right? So imagine you've just walked into a room, got 10 people that you've never met before. And one of them turns around and says, oh, hello, Nathan. Nice to meet you. So what do you do? Mate, pretty simple answer for me. I'm all about people in e-commerce. So it's all about um, helping people build their teams and uh, find their ideal career. Awesome. And that's through, so you run eSuite? Yeah, so I run eSuite. My background's in e-commerce. I've done the retailer side and uh, I was at Super Retail Group for six years, heading up their digital and e-com. Done the consulting side, done the agency side. And um, during COVID last year, saw the gap around a lot of retailers have great partners like impressive around their marketing and their technology but internally their teams just weren't up to scratch and they're really struggling to get people internally to run the business and honestly if you don't have the people then the growth's not going to come no matter how good your partners are it's very interesting right because we share a very similar story also been in e-commerce done agency side done client side um, and then I found it impressive, which is a retail or an, like a retail slash e-commerce focused agency, right? That's the, the, the category that, or the vertical that we work in. Um, and it's quite interesting. You talk about people, you know, since inception and till this day, and I always will follow a people first, client second, revenue last model. So let's unpack this for a second, right? Because, you know, I'd argue that if you can't get your people right, everything else collapses. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You'll just churn through clients, you'll churn through revenue. You can just, you know, if you're chasing that dollar, you'll churn through a lot of, and you'll take a lot of shortcuts, right? So, you know, arguably right now, one of the major challenges that every single business and, you know, basically agency on this planet is facing is talent acquisition and retention, Yep. right? So I want to go there for, for a bit, right? What are some of the key learnings, I guess, that you've seen? And, and I mean, I'm sure this is a challenge that you're facing on a daily basis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're in a candidate, we're in a candidate re- poor market at the moment. For, as a as a talent partner, we've got no problems getting retailers who want people in their team. Um, I think that's that's the world we're in at the moment. It's mm-hmm. it's having skilled candidates in Australia um, who are who want to move um, and are ready to. So for us, if I'm a retailer, I'm thinking about one: how do I retain my team first and foremost like you don't want to use a recruiter and we publicly say that you don't want to use a recruiter if you don't have to um we're there to help you when you get into that situation so how do you get ahead of the game 
Um, and it's all, you know, it's, it's treating people right. It's all that sort of stuff is, um, that goes hand in hand. Uh, but what we're seeing definitely in the market with e-commerce is that people want to work for brands and companies that genuinely give a shit and that, you know, they have a purpose that's bigger than selling stuff. Like you said, it's like if, if everything comes down to great, you'll be able to hit these figures. That's not enough incentive for anyone to stay anywhere. So really trying to make sure that you've got that purpose and that goes beyond people. That's just the core of your business, right? Yeah, and it's got an interesting point, right? And we talk about purpose and vision and, and so on a lot in business, but I think for some, they kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh, here we go. You know, <laughs> here, goes the, here goes their conversation again. And it's like, it is so important, right? Especially those that age group that's between the 16 and 26. They're very purpose-driven, right? If they don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, because it's not all about the money. No. Right. And yeah, sure. For some, it is about the flashy things and, and, and how much money they can earn. But for most, it's like, am I actually making a difference? Am I adding any value to this business? Right. How am I contributing to this overall purpose? And I think. And how do I feel when we, I go home at the end of the day? Exactly right. Right. Am I just another resource in this business? Are they just using me because they know they can extract X amount of hours out of, out of my day? Right. So it's quite an interesting one around purpose. Right. And I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in the retail space, how defined do you think a lot of their purposes are? Like how clearly articulated are they? Or are they just words on a on a wall? I think the trick is if it's if it's difficult to articulate, you've got a deeper problem. Mm. You know, it should come naturally. So for example, I'll give you an example. We worked with a uh, sustainable wetsuit company. So really cool brand, not very well known um, outside the hardcore surfers, but everything that they produce is recycled, sustainable, ethically sourced. That's the whole thing. Wetsuits aren't cheap. Um, they don't, they're not going for like the quicksilver market share. They've got a very particular audience. And we went to market for an e-commerce manager for that one. And most people wouldn't even recognize the brand. But when we put it out there and we said, hey, there's a sustainable surfwear brand. This is what we're, they're doing. They're not huge. This is the targets that they're trying to hit. This is the goals, but this is what they're all about. We had people applying from some of the most prestigious retailers going around in Australia in very senior positions for a job that was below their pay grade because they want to be part of something bigger that was actually real. So, you know, that's a case of not making up a purpose. That's just living and being purposeful. It's at the core of the business, right? It's, it's why they exist, essentially. It's in everything they do from actually making the product to them, you know, their thinking right? exactly. and, their, and, their, and their mindset. And there's a yeah. bit of spin in how you tell it as a story and you've got to put a marketing, you've got to, you know, you've got to give it a story. But if it's difficult to come up with a story in the first place, you're kind of screwed from the outset, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I would argue that there's probably some of these companies that are around just in it for the quick, for the quick dollar and, you know, and in and out. Right? Yeah. They don't really care. They'll burn through people and burn through, you know, whatever it may, may be, right? Um, internally, their resources and just make their quick dollar and, and, and get out. And what are some of the trends that are you seeing in the market at the moment? I mean, are we now with borders starting to open again? Are you know, things going to get better, Nathan? You know, I think it's probably the number one question for all our listeners at the moment and, 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 and a lot of business owners are like, you know, that again, that talent retention and acquisition is really becoming a big problem yeah. for a lot of businesses. So do you think with borders opening that we're going to start to see, um, things get a little bit better? I think we've got to put in perspective, especially if you're in the e-commerce game. Are things going to get better? We're in one of the best industries going around from COVID, right? right. And all the problems that we're dealing with are growth problems. Yeah. 
So, let, you know, a bit of perspective first. And I, and I think, you know, you're seeing it, Rob, you're seeing it in, in your agency. Um, but the problems we're really facing aren't really problems. They're opportunities that we've got to I mean, they're good problems to have. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so what we're definitely seeing is I don't feel like we're going to get a whole bunch of candidates or people looking for work that are really skilled and really experienced coming into the market um, from overseas anytime soon. We, we will get more because we've been stuck on this island for three years with the talent that we've got, which is, there is some phenomenal talent in Australia, don't get me wrong, but it's just still a niche industry. Um, I don't think we'll get a flood in, but we'll, we'll get we'll get more. It'll still be a candidate's market for the next, say, two, th- two, three years, I think. What we are seeing is that flexible working is almost non-negotiable now. Whereas before it was a bit of a novelty and I, and I don't think I'm saying anything different, but when everyone started coming back to the office, I feel like there were some that really went, went gung-ho and said, everyone back in the office, five days a week, we're back to the old way of working. And some that went, actually, that worked pretty well. We'll do 100% remote. But what most of our candidates and e-commerce talent we speak to, they actually want a mix of both. You know, and the mix is usually two days in the office, three days at home. Um, especially now that all the the uh, collaboration tools and everything are set up. So I feel you've got to be be ready to make that mix. We're also seeing, especially in the e-commerce space and for senior e-commerce talent, there's a mindset around growth. And I think this has changed a lot in the last year in that people want to be rewarded based on their performance. So whilst paychecks and salaries are still important, We've got a lot of experienced people who have come through seeing the impact that they can make to a business. And in e-commerce, you can't hide the numbers. Like if you're in e-commerce, you know the numbers. Um, so you know the bottom line that you can bring to a business. And so we're, we're starting to work with retailers to go, well, how do we structure these senior positions so that they can um, share that performance growth with their senior team, either through bonus structures that have, have to be rejigged or through equity, especially around those founder stories where they bring on GMs or um, senior people to help those founders out. This the, that last point is quite an interesting one, and it's something that we've personally, uh, we've actually def- we've definitely experienced here internally, you know. And there's no shying from it, but there's definitely this movement of e-commerce talent that's going. You know what? I'm really good at what I do. I've seen the impact that I've that, that I've had on this business, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it on my own because I know I can earn more money, right? Yeah. And one of the ways I guess to combat that, to your point, is like, well, rather than lose that talent remunerate them mm. appropriately for, mm. for, for the performance that they've produced, right? It's not just about what are they worth in the market because what they're worth in the market is irrelevant, right? Exactly. So what are they worth to you because of, you know, the subsequent performance that they've produced for, for, for your clients, right? Or for, for the business internally. So I can, I can definitely resonate with that and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will and probably the big insight here is, you know, it's not worth losing that talent out to the open market. Hold on to them, you know? Um, they're worth every penny. Especially in that performance category. I mean, you're right in the thick of it, right? Is that performance market? We're, we're there, yeah. right? <laughs> like you can't hide from that shit, right? It's like everything they do is so quantifiable and so measurable. You see the needle move, right? Exactly. It's changing businesses, right? Yeah. Like we've got a big saying here. It's like if we can't impact a P&L, then we fire ourselves. Mm. Mm. Now that's a pretty bold statement to make, right? But you know, at the end of the day, it's like everything we do is performance-based yeah. and we can see the impact that we have on a business, right? Have you had to change anything with your team 
to try and help retain performance marketers over the last 12 months as they've been in high demand? Mate, frankly, like we, we're a target at the moment, right? Mm. And the war on talent is a real thing, right? And it's not going anywhere. Um, and obviously, when you're good at what you do, a little bit, I oh, <laughs> smoke up our own, own arse here for a second. But when we're, you know, when we're, when, you know, when you're a good agency and you're producing really good performance and you're breeding good talent, you become a target, right? So we've got seagulls all over this, this agency at the moment. Uh, I guess our mindset around people first is, is very important. And it's something that if you're not a people first agency or company, it's very hard to just adapt right? Because there's a lot of moving parts to that, right? It's not just about having a table tennis table outside and putting on lunch on Fridays, right? There's a lot more to it. So, you know, for us, it's not about um, a lot of our talent, the money piece, it's just, it's the cherry on top, right? There's so many layers in that cake, right? There's the, the training and the development, right? Like we've built our own training academy. Now, there are a lot of other agencies, a lot of other businesses that have that. Yes, you can be enticed by an extra 10 or 15% in your salary, but what's the cost of that? You don't get the training, right? You don't get the collaborative culture that you get here and the exposure that you get to the diverse client set that you work on, right? So we, you know, we look at things from a different perspective and mate, frankly, it's been very hard to, you know, it's not that easy to steal employees out of Impressive. Like you really got to dig deep. In saying that, you know, mate, you know, full transparency, we have lost a couple of uh, really good people in, in probably the last 12 months. And you know, a lot of them I've given my blessing and I said, you know what, it's the right move, right? If I was you in your shoes, I'd be stupid to stay at Impressive. That's right? It'd just be idiotic. And I think for a lot of businesses, you know, and this is something that I've learned over the years, the, the quicker a business owner can come to terms with the fact that you're not going to hold on to someone forever, the quicker that you actually get the best out of them and they get the best out of you. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win relationship. You no one owns anyone as long as both, both are benefiting. It's a great relationship. And exactly everyone right. had a career. You look at yourself. You never stayed anywhere for forever, no matter how good the workplace or your boss was. Exactly right, right. So this misconception of like, you know, I got to hold on to my people, and you know, I can't give away too much IP because they'll leave and they'll give it somewhere else. Like that's all bullshit, yeah. right? Like, just get that out of your head because it's not reality. That's the, you know, it's another world out there. Yeah, but mate, to answer your question, you know, for us, it's we look at how we remunerate our team from a different perspective, right? It's like, you know, we've got quarterly bonuses that every single person in this business gets right and have basically the bonuses have been paid for the last you know a few few quarters and that's based on client performance and individual growth because they're yeah. the sort of two focus areas for us you know we want to share the love you know i'm not a greedy owner and you know nor the leadership team so for us it's like if we grow everybody in this business mm -hmm. grows because i'm nothing without these guys and it's, yeah it's that greed right it's been able to it, it's it's sharing the, the financial gains that you that you make in the business and, and going, you know what? Thank you, Bob. You know, the, the reason why we were able to hit these particular targets is because of your contribution. And here's a little bit of that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which again, mate, to be honest, in, in this agency landscape is unheard of. No. It was a very right. foreign concept to these guys internally. What do you mean you're going to buy me a bonus? <laughs> and I'm talking at a marketing coordinator level. Yeah. I mean, what you've yeah. got there is more of a sales orientated mindset for the team. Where and obviously the you know it's not pure sales in terms of revenue at all costs. It's customer service. It's all everything that goes with that, rather than the old agency model of I'll have juniors in who I can actually bill at a you know three times four times their um, actual cost, and that's how I generate my margin. Correct. That's exactly right. I mean, we're you know we changed our model completely to a specialist uh, first approach. So you actually 
you know, as a as an as an ecom or a retailer, you actually deal with the performance specialists themselves, right? You're not dealing with an account manager who's then going out to you know shared resources. So, and that was a huge change for us in, in the business, right? And and we remunerate that pod um, accordingly. So they have a, a you know a number of clients that they look after. The clients have direct access to the SEO specialist, to the AdWords specialist, the paid performance specialist, right? They talk to them directly. There is no account manager. And, you know, that team have their own P&L, essentially, that they look after, right? And, um, you know, there's a performance director that heads up the, 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 the pod and, and they get remunerated. You know, as that portfolio grows, they are remunerated accordingly. Right? Yeah. The business is not greedy in that in, in that sense. And they love it. You know, it creates that it's that challenging environment, right? And that competitive environment. You know, it's like I ran this campaign and I was able to reduce the CPA by X amount, right? Well, F you, I'm gonna try and do this with my client, yes. right? And it's like the client is actually the winner in the end. Yeah. You know? So you're right, it's that sales mentality, but more from a from a performance marketing point of view. Mm. So the client actually wins. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's that mentality. It's not that mentality of you're going to work eight hours a day so I can bill you eight hours a day and here are all the tasks I want to get through so we can put on timesheets and build the client. It's a, your job is to work with this client to grow their revenue. I don't care how you get there. Try some different exactly. things because at the end of the day, you'll share in that success if you trial and find the right things. Correct. That's exactly right. That's exactly mm. right. So let's go there to the performance marketing space for a sec, right? Because I, what I'm starting to see, and you know, I want to sort of open the discussion around this. There's a trend at the moment around businesses that are starting to go back out to agency for the performance component. You know, towards well, let's go back a couple of years ago, it was all starting to come back in-house, or starting to build their performance teams internally, and now I think it's probably a contribution of you know. Um, resource and you know lack of talent and so on and so on they're going back out to agencies and we're starting you know we're building out teams for businesses here you know dedicated teams yeah. performance teams for, for businesses what are you seeing in this space you know is that is that a thing or um yeah definitely agree with you that we saw that trend to go to um in-house especially in the last 18 months because we saw that we had a lot of growth from retailers who typically relied on agencies because they were in that startup or small to medium business stage and they were running adwords but it wasn't a crazy amount of adwords and their agency's fees might have been three to five grand a month and then all of a sudden COVID happened and agency fees rocketed because their spend rocketed because their revenue was rocketing and then they did the maths and it was purely a mathematical exercise and they went Actually, if I'm paying agency fees of 150 grand, I can get a specialist in house for 150 grand to do that job. Why would I do it outside? The reality of it, though, is that someone is never that much money. They're never available. You've got to have the resources and the ecosystem around them to develop them and to train them and to keep them growing because it's a continually moving space. So it's not that easy. I think if you're a Woolworths or a you know one of those larger retailers or a network retailer that's more achievable because you can share those resources and that learning. But if you're an individual retailer, it becomes really hard. Yeah, it's a very valid point, isn't it? That's over to you for a sec, man. Like you've won what, top 50 in e-com four yeah. years in a row now? I'm not going to brush that off. I'm definitely going to spend some time there. <laughs> Talk me through that journey. I mean, that's a that's a big thing. I mean, number one is how did you even land in e-commerce in the first place? And then how do you find yourself in the top 50 people in e-com four <laughs> years in a row? <laughs> I don't even know the answer to the second part. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got there. So my background was in agency. So I started off my career in a media agency. It was media slash full service, but mostly media. And my first job was actually working for ABC Learning Centers as my client. Ah. I don't know if you remember them, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there's a big story there. But, you know, you had about 1,200 daycare centers all over Australia. And I remember my first three months was literally going through every regional newspaper that existed in Australia, including the free ones, and trying to map everyone to an ABC learning center and working out what sized ads we could get. So like four by six inch ads in newspapers. Um, <laughs> which you know looking back is great and you know i got to do some really cool things in that traditional media space around cricket sponsorships and all that sort of stuff which was you know really floated my boat for a while but moved into strategy and then one day my boss at this agency came to me and he's like and this is 2008 ish um, when facebook's just come on the scene youtube's just starting to become you know really popular He's like, Nath, I reckon there's uh, something in this social media stuff. What do you reckon? I'm like, yeah. No, and, and at that time, I'd been kind of playing around in the background, creating blogs and everything I could do that as a non-developer that I could do to kind of start experimenting with it. And um, it sounds really stupid now, experimenting with blogs, but at the time, it was actually an experiment. And he was like, do you want to start a social media agency? And I was like yeah, why not? Like I had nothing else. I had no wife, kids, no nothing. And I didn't actually, I wasn't like a partner or anything in it, but I was like the the lead strategist and had to leave the, the traditional media job to do it. And we, we started that. And um, it was really interesting because at the time, you got to remember back then, there was actually no advertising at all on any of those social media platforms. So everything was 100% organic. You posted it, your audience saw it. Like, those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> that was fantastic. You could build these communities really quickly, have yeah. great engagement, all that sort of stuff. Instagram businesses. Exactly. Well, Instagram yeah. businesses now, which are the, the slot machines, as Mark Bartzi says. <laughs> the, but, and then so we developed this tool um, and the tool was around identifying influencers and people who actually had positive sentiment for your brand. It was really early on and we were the first social media agency in Australia. We had so much interest and we would talk to so many people from big banks to fitness chains to fast food, but no one actually wanted to buy anything because no one was paying anything for social media. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you spend money on a platform to find your influencers when everything was free and people just thought it would be that way forever? So that was a really good learning curve. And then to, and then I went more into digital strategy um, with another agency and worked with some cool clients there. And then I kind of reached an age where I was like, oh, geez, I'm too old for agency lifestyle. And probably <laughs> when, and, and talking more advertising agencies here where you've got creatives staying back till 1am in the morning, drinking beer and eating dirty Chinese food. And I just like, I'm too old for this. I just can't do it anymore. And, you know, it's, it's fun partying at sometimes, but I was just like, give me something where I'm in total control. Um, and so that's when I made the move over to, to the retail side and um, joined Super Retail Group for six years, heading up their digital and e-com. So that was cool to work across brands like BCF and Super Cheap Auto and Rebel Sport. And that was a, that was a big six years, a real kind of induction into retail it was it was fast paced it was it was good i've done a lot of retail work before in agencies but it's a lot different once you're in the trenches client side day-to-day client side yeah 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 that's 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 awesome man. it's awesome journey what was some of the i mean look retail has obviously evolved a lot and it's an ever-evolving beast it's no different to digital right what sort of like what were the sort of major trends that you saw uh, in those six years across the portfolio of clients that you were you were working with the reason why I ask this question is I always find that this commonalities, irrespective of what category you're in, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're selling dresses or if you're selling car parts, right? 
there are common trends. We're dealing with consumers at the end of the day, mm. right? With people. So I always love to ask this question, like what are the sort of common trends that you find from brands, brand that you can basically just adopt? Doesn't matter if you're again selling dresses to, to selling just to selling car parts. I don't know if they're trends, but they're definitely themes that ran through those years. So uh, growth was phenomenal. So when I started there doing about $4 million online on a custom built platform that was kind of just falling apart in the seams. And there was really like, I think online retail and e-commerce was just seen as a bonus of retail. It wasn't seen as a legitimate channel back then. So I feel like that was a real journey to take the business on to go, actually, guys, this is, this isn't like, I know it's less than a percent of sales at the moment. It was actually less than 0.5% of sales for a long time but it's not going to be this way forever. Let's get the infrastructure and everything ready to go. And obviously now we're up, you know, closer to 15% across Australia in terms of e-commerce share of retail. So, you know, being able to take people on that journey, I think is really important. And I think for, for people in retail, especially those big retail businesses, so important to kind of take a step back. And just because you're in e-commerce every day and you understand the, the ins and outs of it and you're ultra passionate about it, expecting other people to have the exact same passion and interest in it isn't always there. So you've got to be a bit patient. And there's still a lot of dinosaurs, you know, and I say that with all due respect, right? To a lot of big retailers who, you know, still thinking about digital transformation, you know, and I've sat on board meetings where I'm like, guys, you're still thinking about transformation. We're talking about innovation. Yeah. You've missed the boat. You need to move quickly. Otherwise you're done. Yeah. You know, you're toast. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you experienced a lot in, in an in-house role and having to like educate and like get the point across that this is not just another, you know, th- th- this is a very lucrative channel if done correctly. I got educated as well, if I'm 100% honest, on, on the fundamentals of retail. So what, what yep. works in traditional retail, often you can carry over and traditional retail can be a very lucrative business. So I, I don't, you know, it's very important not to dismiss that. But what I learned is the the old business case model so i always you know the biggest project that i did there was about replatforming um, and we replatformed onto salesforce commerce cloud uh, that took five years <laughs> from the day of the first presentation through to finally getting it in now it wasn't five years of building so it's not a slight on salesforce or um, it's four and a half years of red tape and and <laughs> The amount of business cases and consultants we had in and all that sort of gear to get this up and running. And the whole time you're talking hypotheticals, right? So you're creating business cases based on what you think will happen when no one really knows what's going to happen. So the what if world, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. And I had some great managers and people in my corner who was helping, but it was just that old process of because when you've got a retail business that's run for 50 years where you make a change and you can measure that year on year, retail's built on year on year growth. So you know that what you did at Christmas last year, if you get 5% growth on that, you'll do this. And try doing that for e-commerce in a business that's never invested in e-commerce. You're just making up numbers and then you have to justify the numbers that you've made up. So, you know, that was frustrating, but feel it helped me learn a lot around um, how to present things to different people who are coming from different aspects. So some people were worried about cannibalizing retail sales. Some were just um, putting their head in the sand because they didn't want it. Some agreed with you but weren't going to put anything on the line to do it. So it was a it was a good political exercise, if I'm honest. 
and probably the key learning here for all our listeners and anyone that's in, in big retail listening to this is the speed of adoption, mm. right? And it's one of these things where you don't have five years, the luxury of having five years to plan it out because that valley of death, right, as a dinosaur can come very quickly, Yeah. right? You could be 100 million, 200, 300 million, I don't care how many millions you're doing. If you're not innovating and playing a little bit of catch up, right? It's because mm. it's one thing to innovate and be the leader and another to actually to, to, to catch up. That valley of death comes very quickly and we've seen it, right? Globally, on a, on a, global, st- on a global scale. And I just think on that too, Rob, is that you you know, that transformation doesn't have to happen. You don't have to put all your eggs in one basket to go, hey, if we never replatform, then we're never going to transform. It's actually, look, that's probably one of the key rocks that we've got to tackle. But while we're waiting for that to happen, let's do a bunch of other stuff as well. And, you know, I was lucky to to be working with some brilliant people in that organization. And, you know, while we were getting that done, we did things like we one of the first to implement click and collect and click and collect under half an hour, which at the time was phenomenal. Um, new loyalty programs, which really we thought about loyalty and did a lot of things that were different in loyalty, creating that omni-channel experience so people in store could, you know, have things shipped on back home to them. So it wasn't like we had to sit around and go, well, we're sitting on our hands until this platform is built. Better sign that off. It's like, no, no, no. There's opportunity everywhere. It's just might not be the big rock that you want. So actually, it's a good segue, right? Because I was about to ask you this around the online and offline customer journey. And, you know, I talk, I actually spoke to Mark about this. Hmm. There's this misconception that they're two different journeys. Hmm. It's like, you know, the online customer journey is very different to the offline customer journey. And I argue that to the cows come home, that it's one journey. Yep. The consumer is not going through two different journeys. It's not like, you know, what, and then the metaverse comes up and all of a sudden there's a three, there's a third journey, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the journey is, is, is the one journey. You've just got an online component and an offline component. What were some of the struggles in, in attributing sales back to, you know, from an online to an offline perspective? And we see this a lot, right? Yeah. They do the shopping online or they might go in store, try something on or, you know, look at a particular product, but then purchase it online. So, I mean, A, is that something that you guys encounter a lot? And, to what were some of the you know the workarounds or some of the tech or ideas that you put in place to be able to attribute those sales back to the initial you know in the one journey yeah it's the never-ending struggle and i don't know unless you found the miracle answer i don't think anyone's got the answer for it even now it's a work in progress <laughs> the work in progress but you know people want the answers you know and it, it seems like a simple problem to solve from the outside when you're not in the detail, but then you kind of dig a bit deeper and you go, ah, now we can't. So, but it doesn't stop people asking for it and asking asking um, for that attribution. So, you know, I think I've told this story a couple of times, but one of the things that I did when, you know, in the first year or two that I was there is that I really, you know, my thing was around conversion rate. So we had a traditionally low conversion rate and it was factor of things. But my philosophy was, hey, we're never going to be a brand that has 5 10% conversion rate because we've got such a huge in-store presence. And, you know, we're talking something like 300 to 500 stores at any time. And we were known for being a store brand that when people visit the website, they're not necessarily there to shop. So if we're measuring the success of the website on whether people checked out, we're missing the point because they could be there to find the nearest store location, view a catalog, view promotions, get in touch with someone. That's all still a successful visit. So one of the things that I did is I actually engaged Salmat and their research team and I asked them to stand outside a bunch of stores and I asked them that when people came out with their shopping bags, whether that was from Rebel, BCF or Supercheap, that they just stopped them and they just asked them, hey, of what you bought there today, did you research any of those products on our website before buying them in store. 
Um, really simple, like, you know, cave, <laughs> caveman survey. But it turned out that, you know, one in four, I think it was one in four, it was a long time ago, uh, one in four people actually looked at that on their website before purchasing in store. So I started using that and started, that started becoming part of the, the conversation around the place, which helped. It wasn't scientific. Yeah, well, it wasn't as in a live kind of, you could see it every day, but it was kind of like, oh, okay, so this is a real thing that the website's influencing the store, even if it's not converting in an e-commerce sense. And then a few years later, we did, we did a whole bunch of experiments, but one of the other ones we did was Google actually came to us and said, we'll put beacons all through your stores. And they did one of the brands and we'll put beacons all through your stores for free because you're already spending with us. And then we'll be able to tell you 100% the people who um, who um, clicked on a search ad or clicked on one of our, you know, saw one of our Google display networks and then were in your store as well. And that's all well and good unless people don't have an Android phone or they don't have a Google app. <laughs> the beacon doesn't do much. That's right. <laughs> we still got some good data out of it, but it wasn't the, um, the silver bullet that, that we were hoping for. Look, I must say, I mean, the tech's probably gone a little bit better over the last sort of 12 to 24 months. We're able to do some pretty cool stuff, you know, with some of the biggest retailers like Mitre 10 and so on around offline and online attribution, you know, linking up point of sale systems and all sorts of stuff, right? There's some really cool stuff there that you can do to to track and measure. It's never 100% accurate, mm. right? But it gives an indication of how much online has influenced an in-store purchase. Yes. Which is which is huge, right? Yeah. You're you're on this online activity, and it's like, well, I'd love to know how much it, how much of it has actually influenced someone going in store and and making that purchase, right? Um, and I think in the next you know couple of years, there'll be some really cool tech as well that will start to evolve around. I guess closing that gap. Right? Yeah, um, and I think that's all fine if it's easy enough to do. But if you make it your life's mission to make it pinpoint accurate that every dollar you spend can be attributed somewhere mm. along the lines, you're, you've obviously got a belief problem in there somewhere. Yeah. So I don't think that's the end goal is to, to do that. It's just to know what channels are working, what messages are working at a high level and then reinvest in them. Because if you're trying to pinpoint absolutely everything, then it feels like you don't have a strategy. Because yeah. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right, and I, and I think one of the, one of the things agencies have done, and we blame ourselves for this over the years, is like you know we talk a lot about ROAS and big numbers and you know 20x and 15x and 10x, but it's very siloed to that one channel, right? And I think to some degree we've hurt the market. It's, uh, it's almost like we've created this this belief that the channels need to work in silos, mm. right, rather than actually working as a as a mix. Yeah. And, and and all the channels are contributing or whatever mix of channels that you've you know you've deployed are, are actually all assisting each other in getting an outcome mm. right? and we've we've lost the the outcome component we focus too much on how much ROAS can we pull out of Facebook yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and Google and it's like guys they're actually working together and influencing each other and I've seen this time and time again where you know retailers and e-com brands have gone you know what yeah cut the spend on social because the ROAS has plummeted yeah like no, 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 no. That, that there is actually influencing what's happening on search, right? And what's happening on whatever other channels that you've engaged in. Exactly. I almost had to, I had to slap myself the other day as that I was talking to a client and um, actually recommended billboards 
And I was like, Jesus, you've come a long way away from um, trying, <laughs> trying to track everything. But it, but it actually was, um, and Mark mentioned it when I was having a chat with him and he did a great experiment around above the line advertising and, you know, just turning on in one state and seeing the long-term effect that that can have because brand is still so important. And um, how you sit in a customer's head is so important and can measure your sales and impact conversion more than any ad at the right time can. 100%. And most performance agencies, you know, they pick a fight with brand agencies. Mm. And I, I disagree with that. I think there's, there's, a, there's a huge performance element to brand. Yeah. Right? However, brand has never really been looked at as a performance channel. No, that's right? it's So, you know, from our perspective, and, you know, Mark and I have actually spoken about this a lot, we run a lot of brand activity that's performance-based, mm. right? And it delivers amazing ROI, okay? it's Yes, it's top of funnel, but you can still track and, and quantify the impact that it's had throughout the entire customer journey, right? And if brands out there are, 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 think, are thinking that, you know, building brand equity and, and, and starting to look at brand from a performance point of view, if they start to, to neglect it, I think it will hurt them in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we've seen that with a couple of big e-commerce brands that are taking a hit at the moment because they haven't invested in brand. They've been right. too busy pumping price and promotion. They just focus on the bottom, sales, sales, sales. They forget that they're actually choking their, mm -hmm. their, their entire funnel and then it dries out yeah. and they go, ah, fuck, now what do we do? <laughs> right? we'll, and call you know, that, we'll call that creative agency and get that rebrand happening. <laughs> Correct. And, the, and the, the, the time they realize it is when CPAs start to like go through the roof. Yep. Right, and it's like guys, like I don't want to say I told you so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a there's a, there's a, there's a reason why there are different parts of the journey or the phases or the funnel or whatever the flywheel, whatever you want to sort of refer to it as, right? And I, I think you got to look at things from a holistic point of view. You can't just look at sales, 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 because to get the sales, 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 you actually need to do the stuff at the top. Absolutely, Otherwise it doesn't doesn't go anywhere. Nate, are you starting to see any emerging roles? I want to go back to people for a bit, right? So now we're in 2022. Are you seeing that there's a trend in new, whether it's in-house or agency roles? I think the two that were the two that caught my eye most recently are that we're seeing a lot of demand from founders who are getting to that twenty to thirty million dollars in spend mark. And you know, you think about some of these founders who are probably founded the business because they're really creative. They've created a product that they love, that they get to design it, they get to do it, and then all of a sudden they've got a twenty to thirty million business dollar business and they go, Oh shit, I didn't really like sign up to run a team of twenty five and to be working out supply chain and doing all the operational stuff. Like that's not me. I need, you know, I yeah. want to get back to my creative route. So we're seeing a real demand for great e-commerce talent that can step up and kind of step into that GM or CEO, even head of role to run the operational side of e-commerce. And I think that's going to become more and more important because we still, you know, we love our creative founders and those visionaries and the innovators, but oftentimes they're not made for operations. Um, and the second one, we actually had a really cool job land the other day was for a TikTok content creator. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it was for a national uh, beauty and makeup brand. And um, they just wanted someone in-house just to be pumping out TikTok content and literally just one channel, just keep creating to engage that audience. Mate, it's amazing what that channel has done. They've, they've surpassed Google. Incredible. I don't know if you know about this, right? TikTok's, yeah, yeah TikTok's traffic has overtaken Facebook and Google. Insane. It's, it's, it's just like insane. Absolutely insane. So I'm not surprised that there's probably going to be, you know, job opportunities just for that single channel. Yeah. Are you running any performance on it? 
and how does that go from a process perspective? Like what have you had to change around your creative compared to other channels? Well, here's the interesting thing, right? We don't do a lot of creative internally. So um, we, call, we, we tend to work reverse brief it back to the client and then you know, they, do the, they work with, or we work with their creative agency. But what's quite interesting is that you can't just go and take a piece of content that has been created for say Facebook or Instagram and go and dump it on TikTok. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It doesn't perform, yep. right? So it really does need to be a very unique piece of content mm-hmm. that is just for that single channel. It, just, it's, it works very differently, right? yeah. you know, most other sort of performance channels, whether it's say Pinterest or even Snapchat, right? Facebook, Instagram, any of those guys, you can take the, the asset and you can, you know, adjust it a little bit internally here within the agency and, you know, throw it out on the platform and you can, you know, generally get some pretty decent performance. TikTok is like completely different. It's, yeah. it's its own beast. Yeah. Right? So again, I'm not surprised that, you know, this beauty brand is actually hiring internally for just a content creator and just for TikTok. Yeah, it's much more community focused too, right? And I think YouTube is a little bit like this, but the beauty of TikTok is they just got rid of the play button. So it's just a continual feed straight yeah. into the veins. Yeah, exactly. And we're starting to see a lot more like, you know, we're starting to get a lot more, I guess, inquiries, if you like, around just TikTok marketing. Mm. I think there's a huge opportunity there. How long it lasts, I mean, I'm sure it's probably going to be no different to all the other platforms, right? It's skyrockets and then eventually it was a sort of plateau a little bit, but take advantage of it while you can. It is still fairly cheap compared to some some of the other platforms. So on that, what are your top three tips right now around finding good talent in market? for retailers or e-com brands. All right. If you want to find a good talent, my top tips would be to go to network early. Like actually, you know, speak to people and, and you know, share your story. I um I get a bit of ribbing because I'm on LinkedIn all the time and posting stuff. And, and um, but for me, it's a great way to get ahead of the game. And it's like, this is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. Someday, I'm probably going to go to market with an ask or an offer or something like that. But hey, I'll take you along the journey. And I and I really feel a lot of brands and founders and and managers and leaders need to do this as well, rather than getting to the point and go, oh shit, now I've got to hire three people. I'll put an ad up. It's like actually, if you told your brand story over time, when you have that opportunity, people will be already bought in. You've warmed up the market. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so that would be one. Number two, I would think about so. When you are in market, I would say that it's so important to be timely. Um, We're finding that candidates are having multiple offers and making decisions really quick. You need to be timely and you need to have a really good idea that you may have the best JD in the world, but it probably goes for three pages. If I say to you, what are your top three non-negotiables? You've got to be able to answer those really quickly and easily. Um, yep. because you're going to have a wide variety of candidates. And at the end of the day, you need those three things that you're going to make a decision on, yes or no, plus personality, yep. culture fit. If you try and tick every box, you'll still be here next year. And then, like I said, is, is just making decisions quickly, being fully um, immersed in the process. And I'm not saying that from a selfish point of view, from an e-suite perspective, but it's about securing that talent because we're literally seeing talent move on pretty quickly. And the third thing is you know, invest in your people, keep the good people if you can. I love that conversation we had earlier is that you're not always um, going to keep people, don't take it personally, but create an environment where if people want to stay and they're good, they stay. That, that comes down to salary. It comes down to working conditions, flexible work, the way you you um, reward them for performance. Don't kind of scramble at a performance review stage or uh, when they've got another offer on the table because by that stage, 
their headspace is in a different place. I love that, man. The three very good tips there. Network early, be timely and quick and invest into your people. I mean, it's it sounds pretty basic and straightforward, right? It's no. like, it's just got to get it done. You got to get it <laughs> done. But, and I totally understand it. Like retail's a busy game, right? Agency's a busy game. Yeah. It's so much on every day. You've actually got to carve out time to be there with your team because otherwise you'll just do the stuff that you've got to do day to day. It's so busy, self-help, you know, client service, all that sort of stuff. Actually, oh, I've got to just spend that 20 minutes having a cup of coffee where I'm approachable. All it takes is one vulnerable moment where, you know, an individual feels a little bit down or whatever it may be. Recruiter comes in or an in-house talent acquisition manager comes in, sends that one LinkedIn message and they go, you know what? You know, I'll have a chat. Yeah. Bang. They're gone. Yeah. 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 So I totally agree with you, mate. Invest in your people and take the time to actually, you know, care about them, have a chat with them. You don't know, you know, where they're at mentally. You know, they might need just to have a conversation with someone. That's it. You know, that's it. Um, and, and so make the time for time, it because it is a priority. Most yeah. times you'll get more out of it than they will. 100%. 100%. Mate, I tell you, the amount of feedback I get yeah. from just having, you know, I'll go out and just sit there with someone. Hey, how you going? You know, how's the weekend? What's been going on? How's work? You know, mate, and they just download yeah, you know, they download stuff. And some of it's personal. That's cool. You know, I'll listen to that too. Some of it's business related. Oh, I wish this and I wish that. And I'm like, right. Three people now that have told me they wish they had this. Well, why don't we look at that? Mm. Right? Why don't we actually start to unpack that a little bit more and just see if, if, if we can assist there? It's a great way to get feedback and to actually grow your culture and grow your business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nath, where do we find you, mate? You mentioned LinkedIn before. LinkedIn. You'll get me there, private message me, whatever. You'll find me at Nathan at eSweetTalent.com.au if you want to email me, eSweetTalent.com.au and podcast add to cart.com.au. That's right. Yeah, you run your own podcast, right? Add to cart. So, yeah, I feel your pain. We'll put those on the, we'll put those on the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Nate, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show and I look forward to uh, catching up face to face. Thanks, Rob. Enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thanks, buddy.